Have you ever wondered about who was the first female video game designer? Or the origin of Gandalf's sword in Lord of the Rings? These are just two of the topics you'll find us discussing on the Covert Nerd Podcast, a podcast which aims to bring out the inner nerd in all of us. Celebrating nerdy topics from the past and the present. Simply go to covertnerd.net for more information or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, nerd it up. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bullspit. Welcome, Moose Pack, to a very special episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. My guest today has been inducted to both the North American Country Music and National Auctioneer Hall of Fames. It is with great honor I introduce singer, guitarist, and country music icon, Mr. Leroy Van Dyke. So how are we doing? Doing fine. Everything's good. That's good. We're we're down in central Missouri, and uh, we're having good weather, and everything's good. So you've had a career that spanned decades. I mean, you've been a household name for years. Well, I've been doing this for, oh, right at 65 years. When you started out, did you have any idea that you would still be going that strong? I mean, we're we're at the tail end of 2020, and well, you're still, you know, this household name. You know, I never really thought about it in those terms. I, uh, I, I just wanted to sing songs, and that's what I wanted to do for a living, and I didn't know what direction it was going to take me and and it was it's been quite a ride and quite a journey uh but uh i didn't know how long i'd be doing it and i didn't know what degree of success i might have but i i always did it i tried to be professional about everything i did and the and the way we did our shows the way we presented the, the music and it's worked out pretty well i've been at it for right at 65 years were you performing before you went to Korea and did your tour of duty or did you kind of dive into it more after you came back? Not, not professionally. I, uh, I used to sing, uh, in church choirs and school and sang in the university of Missouri men's league club. I started singing in Korea, but that wasn't professionally. I was just doing that for, for the fun of it. Just kind of passed uh, the it, time. But it really, uh, it was kind of interesting because by being there, when I was there, I had the, the experience of being the only person ever ever country in the country music business, the only person to ever open a show for Marilyn Monroe, and that that was quite a quite an honor. I was wondering when that happened because yeah, I saw it in your different bios, and I couldn't pinpoint when you got to open for uh, Marilyn. Well, she she was over there in a on a USO show tour and touring several spots in, in Korea. And, and our, I was a counterintelligence agent, special agent in counterintelligence. And I was assigned to the 160th infantry regiment, which was part of the 40th division. And one of her stops was, uh, at the 160th and they 
they built a nice stage for her, and it was really, really nice. She was she was nice to me, and it was really quite an honor to be a part of that show. I can imagine. You, you managed in your career. You've you've knocked out tons of hits. I think the first one I ever heard was "Walk On By," and that was on one of those uh, Time Life CD special things. Yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? You know, because you had that, just that smooth baritone quality to your voice. And it's like, man, who is this? You know, so you start <laughs> digging in more. And yeah, it you had like this country crooner hat you still have. This country crooner style to your voice. And I could be wrong, but I think that's kind of what helped set you apart. Aside from, you know, obviously, and we'll get to it, the auctioneer, which really set you apart. What kind of, like, musical influences did you have growing up? Well, what kind of music? Yeah. Well, I had quite a variety of musical instruments when I was a kid growing up. Uh, I listened to uh, local radio stations and listened to people like uh, Roy Rogers and... People like that, Roy Rogers, Sons of the Pioneers, Gene Autry, uh, and we had a local radio station that played them with some regularity. And so those were some of my early influences. But also, uh, driving back and forth to high school, uh, that same radio station uh, played some big band stuff, uh, Frank Sinatra and a lot of the big band stuff, and I enjoyed that kind of music too. So I I was exposed to, to quite a bit of different kinds of music. And then later on, when I got to college, during, during on Saturday nights when the other people were going out and going crazy and getting stupid, I was sitting in my room shining my shoes and listening to the Grand Ole Opera and studying. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, seriously. And uh, so then I got uh, indoctrinated pretty well with uh, the stars of the Grand Ole Opera not ever dreaming that at some time in the future that they would be opening, I would, they would be opening shows for me. That's surreal. Later in your career, you did a stint in radio. I had a, a deal that was put together by the Southern Baptist Radio and TV Commission. They asked me to be a, a co-sponsor, not a sponsor, but kind of a co-host, along with one of the all-time greats, Bill Mack. Uh, from WBAP in, in Fort Worth, Texas. And so he and I were the co-hosts of that show. And on the opening show, it was heard on 35 radio stations. And then I left the show after, after about 10 years. And uh, when I left the show, we were, we were heard by 32 million people a week. And it was basically country music and, and, uh, Bill Mack and I would kind of pass the, the co-host uh, duties back and forth to each other. So did Jerry Clower come on while you were still there, or was that after you left? I was still there when he came on board, and, and he was still there when I left. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long he was there, but I don't think he stayed there too much longer. I can imagine he would have been a fun guy to hang around. Well, he was he's a pretty funny guy. So uh, I think I've heard all of his uh, albums. Yeah, but he 
he was funny on stage, but he wasn't that funny off stage. Uh, and most comedians are that way. Uh, most comedians that I've known have been very funny on stage, but kind of quiet off stage. And, and they, he was kind of that way. So then let's uh, get into what what is arguably the uh, song that when people hear your name, it's uh, tied into the most, and that's The Auctioneer. Now, that's a song that I first heard it when I was 13. Yeah. And my family had started doing, was just starting to get into like the karaoke business. And that was, I found it on karaoke. And that became my uh, Moby Dick. That was my white whale. I was going to beat that song. Because you know I could do the choruses. I mean, I could do the verses just fine. But the auction call, I can't beat. <laughs> That's the hard part. Now, I can do the choruses now. But the intro and the outro, mm -hmm. to this day, I still can't lick. My mom's pretty good at it, but I can't do it. And it just, it, it astounds me that you have this, you know, on the surface, you don't expect a country song really to be that difficult to do. I mean, I've grown up on country. Yeah. And here's this song that just out of the gate... You're just like, what's going on? And it, it's just mind-boggling. If you've never been around auctions, uh, you you probably wouldn't know what's going on at an auction. You don't understand uh, what the auctioneer is doing and and what kind of a, a number that they have and what they what kind of a number that it has bid and what they're asking. And uh, uh, most people that grew up in the country or in cattle country that have been around auctions and know pretty well what's going on. Uh, but if they haven't been around it, they have to learn it from the very beginning. It's, it's kind of difficult unless you have somebody teaching you. Well, from my experience, the auctioneers, the salesman and the hype man, because it's, <laughs> you know, a salesman can come out and say, Hey, we got this cow. Let's sell it 500 bucks. Whereas, you know, the auctioneer, it's okay. Let's, get the biggest you know bang for our buck here and part of the i guess fun as it were is that adrenaline rush you get sitting in the stands listening to the call and the speed of how fast it's going you know in respects to that number going up and you're just like hey whoa hold on come back nope over here <laughs> you're you're an auctioneer yourself yeah yeah, I uh, I went to auction school uh, right after my junior year of college, and uh, and then when I got back from the from the army, I went to work for a, a livestock newspaper, and part of my job was going to cattle and hog auctions as a part of the sales crew, helping to work with the auctioneers to get more money in the, in the auctions. And we worked these auctions at different places all over the country and then write up the report of the sale, uh, how many 
animals there were in the sale and which ones were the top numbers and what the averages were. Because livestock people all over the country were waiting to get that newspaper to find out what the market was on certain types of purebred cattle and hogs. I say everyone's waiting on that price of beef, price of pork. Now, is it true that the song was written about your uh, second cousin? Yeah, he was a man named Ray Sims, and he grew up in the same county that I did in in West Central Missouri, about 80 miles east, southeast of uh, Kansas City. He was a second cousin, and uh, probably the best auctioneer, livestock auctioneer that ever walked. I actually worked a lot of sales with him when I was working with a newspaper where he was selling the cattle, and I'd be a part of the sales source. See, and yeah, I never would have thought that, you know, that song was actually a true story. Yeah, I just always thought it was a really cool, one, a really cool story, and two, just a really well put together song. So to find out years later that, you know, this is actually based on somebody's life is really cool. On With karaoke, Mom and I, what we would do is we'd just trade off, I'd do the choruses, should do the, I mean, I'd do the verses, should do the choruses. So it became a tandem song. So th- that was fun. It became kind of a family thing to tackle your uh, song. So it was a nice yeah. binding, you know, it was it, it was a binding uh, instrument. So that was, it, it brought some nice memories. What about the movie, What Am I Bid? Because I had never heard about that until recently. Oh, that, uh, we did that, I think, in 1966. Uh, my kind of stage manager and uh, a guy named, uh, well, I can't think of his name right now, but it's been so long, but he used to put my shows together. Gene Nash was his name, and and he uh, he set up and got funding for a movie and uh, he wrote the script and cut the centerpiece of the movie was a song auctioneer and it featured uh, me as an auctioneer and and Ray Sims also as an auctioneer in this movie um and it it played uh, it it played quite a few places in west west coast uh, television stations and some of the uh, drive-in movies in the midwest and and it's it's available for sale. We've sold quite a few of them around the country. I've got to pick up a copy of that because I really want to see that. So is that available on your website? Uh, I think it is. Uh, I, I don't pay too much attention to what's on there, but you can check it out. <laughs> we're we're so busy doing other things that I don't pay attention to what's going around the going on around the office much. So, what have you been doing for 2020 to kind of keep sane? Because I'd imagine shows were kind of limited. And well, to tell you the truth, there are no shows. It shut us down in midair. Just it shut us down. Uh, we haven't had a show date since last February. So it put us out of business. Uh, except that my wife uh, does some paperwork and some. 
various things that she has to do around the office, and I'm in the process taking this opportunity to write a book. So uh, I've, I've got about uh, two-thirds of it written. I don't know exactly when it'll be out because I have to finish it up and kind of do some editing, and I should get it done sometime next year. Well, at least your year off was productive. It, 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 it's a perfect time to, to write a book when everything else stops. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a good time to sit back and be like, well, I wanted to get this done, time to get it done. Yeah. Any word on when you'll be uh, scheduling new shows yet, or is it still kind of up in the air? Uh, we we don't have any idea. We uh, play a lot of fairs, uh, county fairs and state fairs and regional fairs. And uh, we we have one on the books that didn't that was postponed from last year, and they might come back in. And then we have other uh, agricultural events and fairs that that might come in. But and then Gladys, my wife, also is a booking agent for performing arts centers and also some uh, casinos. So, wow. but she she don't she has no idea when they're going to start coming back in or not. She had to cancel. About sixty show dates. Mm. A lot of a lot of that type of shows, at casinos and performing arts centers. So we, we don't know when they're going to start coming back in. That's a shame. Yeah, it is. Especially for someone in your boat. I mean, you, you look at how many you went so long with not missing a show, and, and then we get hit with a pandemic, and everybody is just down and out. It, everybody's in the same boat. Every entertainment, yeah, outfit, and every entertainer in the United States is is out of business. Honestly, it's just a damn shame. Yeah, it is. You know that there's not something that could make it easier to handle. And I mean, I I, I fully understand the reasoning behind you know shutting everything down and keeping the people apart but it's just like well we've got to work too you know <laughs> yeah well we'll we'll be back at it again but we don't know just exactly when that's good i'm definitely looking forward to that yeah when all this is lifted you'll be back touring uh your book will be coming out at some point yeah but we don't have any idea when yeah we... just something to be on the horizon <laughs> We have to kind of wait to find out uh, what the buyers do because the buyers are in control of everything. Uh, until they're ready, they're not going to book a date. And and then we have to wait until they think that they can draw a crowd, even with this pandemic going on. And that might be, it might be three months from now. It might be two years from now. Yeah, it's, everything's up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, I do uh, comic conventions, and I I fully understand yeah. Right now, I should be booking next year's shows, and we're we're kind of in the holding pattern of, well, we don't know what shows are going to be next year yet. That's the same way with us. We're we're in a holding pattern. We're just sitting here waiting till they till the buyers think they're ready for it. So you got anything else you're uh, working on or planning on doing in the future, or are you just kind of just working on the show business and the and the, the personal appearance in the shows and, and this book, and that's all we work on. My, my wife uh, books all of our shows and takes all of our, takes care of all of our paperwork and all of our bookwork, but she has a fast that I'm not involved with, and that's uh, booking those dates in casinos and perform, performing arts centers, and she books anything from 
new country to old country to uh, old uh, pop stuff or old rock and roll stuff. She books she books everything all over the country. So uh, she'll she'll be back in it quicker than I'll be back in it. She also books her interviews. <laughs> Lovely lady. She uh, had had a real business going, but it, it, all all entertainment just stopped. Uh, some of the biggest the biggest booking booking agents and agencies in the United States stopped overnight, just like ours did. Yep. I say it didn't matter if you were a mom and pop agency or you know one of the biggest conglomerates in the country. It you came to a screeching halt. Yeah, if we were all in the same boat uh, when that happened. Um, overnight, we were out of business. Before we uh, wrap this up, I want to leave you with a story. Okay. Which is weird because normally I get left with a story. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I was going to uh, go for this interview later, like next year or something, but the timeline got pushed up because uh, I just recently lost my dad. Yeah. And uh, now... I didn't meet him till I was in my early 20s. And he was a big fan of yours. Mm-hmm. Which, obviously, I didn't know because I, I didn't know him. But in the 10 years that I did get to know him, we were able to kind of build a relationship and a building blocks on talking about you and your music and stuff like that. Like- so... You, you kind of helped build those, uh, set those stones for the 10-year relationship I did have. Mm. So, thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I realized you didn't know you were doing it, but you helped uh, put together a at least a short-term relationship mm-hmm. between me and my dad, and I will forever be grateful for that. Well, that's... That's nice. Now, my listeners can find you on your website. Well, find out information about you on your website. Oh, yeah. They can be located on there and locate about anything there is to know about us, I guess. I'll have the links to that in the episode description. Listeners, you can find me and other great podcasters at electronicmediacollective.com or over on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Mr. Van Dyke, it was a blast having you come on and a real honor chatting with you today well i'm glad we had time to do it i am too i really glad we were able to sit down and just you know talk about your career and find out a little bit more about the stuff behind the music well i'm glad you enjoyed it listeners there's a lot of good podcasts out there if you didn't hear it here probably just a load of bull spit until next time take it easy you take care of yourself Ooh-wee, that sure was some bull spit, but I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time.